Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, we are going to read the first 18 verses, but focus tonight on verses 9 through 18. 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Aval Mahalal, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. 
And the one who escapes from the sword of, Je uh, of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are looking at 1 Kings 19 and the second main event in the life of Elijah. We notice that there's not a lot told us about Elijah in the scriptures. We know about that first main event, that contest on Mount Carmel. And now we are at the second major event in his life, an event that also takes place on a mountaintop. He has traveled to Horeb. We saw last time that God's prophet was discouraged. He was discouraged and afraid. He went outside the land of God. He went to the wilderness and all the way to Horeb. Horeb, which you may remember, is also known as Mount Sinai, to kind of place him where he is. But God comes to him here, and he comes to his discouraged, afraid prophet. He comes to encourage him. And, and even as he does so, and we see Elijah on Mount Horeb, we will see that this encouragement looks back to what God has done in the past and also looks forward to what God will do in the future. We have here uh, allusions to, to Moses and Mount Sinai, and we have a shadow cast forward to Jesus Christ, not on Mount Sinai, but Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. You recall that story, children, Jesus on the Transfiguration Mountain, who does he see? He sees Moses and he sees Elijah. I'm going to suggest that tonight this incident looks forward to that transfiguration of Jesus Christ on that mountain. God comes to encourage his prophet, and as he does, he encourages us as well. We read in verse 9, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And there's been a lot of uh, discussion about the nature of that question. What kind of question is that? What are you doing here, Elijah? Some suggest this is the question of a loving father coming to his child and, and encouraging him to confess that he is afraid, that he has wandered. It's a loving, kind question to bring forth confession from him that God might assure him of his ongoing presence. Some suggest it's not the question of a loving father, but it's the question of an angry accuser. What are you doing here? In this question, there is a rebuke to the prophet. Now, it's, it's always difficult to try to to understand the nature of certain questions in Scripture, and we're certainly not going to try to get behind the text of Scripture to do that. I would suggest however you take this question, the heart of the question is this. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
That's the heart of the question. Whether it's a, a rebuke or whether it's spoken out of love, what are you doing here, Elijah? You belong in Israel. You are the mouthpiece of God to the covenant people. What are you doing here outside of the land? What are you doing here in this cave? This is not where you belong. Now we know that, that Elijah had been taken outside the land earlier. We saw that back in chapter 17. But that was at God's direction that he was sent outside the land as part of the punishment for his people. Here, Elijah takes it upon himself. And he leaves, he leaves the land of God and he goes out all the way down to Horeb, to Sinai. And God says to him, what are you doing here? This is not the place where the prophet belongs. And as Elijah begins to answer that question, what are you doing here? He does so by really bringing an accusation against the people of Israel. Look at verse 10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. In his answer, why am I here? He brings a charge against the people of Israel. They have rejected your covenant. That, that special relationship that you made with them, when you came to them in your love and said to them, I will be your God and you will be my people, they have rejected that. They have rejected your ways. They have rejected that particular relationship that they have with you. It's an accusation against the people. He says, they have thrown down your altars, the altars by which the people could bring their sacrifices to bring praise to God. As the incense went up as a sweet-smelling incense, they don't want to bring sacrifice anymore. And, he says, they have killed your prophets with the sword. They don't want to sacrifice to you, God, and they don't want to listen to you. The prophets are being killed. That's his accusation. They are rejecting you. And so, so Elijah, as he answers God, brings this accusation. And he pleads, in doing so, that God would be faithful to his covenant. Not only the covenant blessings, also the covenant warnings and the covenant curses. There were great blessings to belonging to the covenant people, but if they would reject God, God had warned he would come in judgment. And that's what Elijah is asking for. He is asking that God be faithful to the curses of the covenant. That's his plea to God as he accuses the people and answers the question, why am I here? They have rejected you. They won't sacrifice to you. They won't listen to you. Now, God, you fulfill your just requirements and bring upon them judgment. He pleads against the people of God. 
reminds us how years earlier, Moses, on this same mountain, pleads with God. But, but not pleading against the people, pleading on their behalf. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 22. This is after the, uh, the golden calf incident. And Exodus 22, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Moses pleads on behalf of the people. He pleads, God, be merciful. Yes, they have broken the covenant. Yes, they have gone after other gods. Yes, they no longer seek you, but God, be merciful. Be gracious, forgive them, and if you can't, take my life away. That's, that's Moses' plea to God in Exodus 32. Contrasting these two pleas, we might say that Moses pleads for mercy at the expense of God's judgment. Elijah pleads for justice at the expense of God's mercy. Both plead God would keep the covenant. He would be just. He would be merciful. And in both, in both there is a certain deficiency as they lack the perfect balance of God's mercy and justice. And I would suggest it is that balance that we see in Jesus Christ on the mount of transfiguration. Again, kids, you remember, it was Moses and Elijah who were with Jesus. Now, we know also Moses is a picture of the law, Elijah the picture of the prophets, and Jesus fulfilling both of those, but there, I think there's more going on here. Moses wants mercy, not justice. Elijah wants justice, not mercy, and it is in Jesus Christ that we see these both fulfilled perfectly. God's mercy and His justice in the work of Jesus Christ. He would be just in that He would punish the sins of mankind. And yet He would be merciful in that He would not punish us, but He would punish his Son, Jesus Christ, instead. The perfect mercy and justice of God in the work of Jesus Christ. That, that call to recognize God's mercy and justice goes out again tonight. Do not think that God will allow sin to go on forever. He calls you tonight to, to confess your sins that you might know His mercy, His grace, His compassion. Because if you reject that call, 
you will know only his justice. But in Jesus Christ, both mercy and justice perfectly held together as he punishes our sins in the death of his son. God comes to Elijah. Elijah answers with this accusation. They have, they have killed your prophets. They no longer want to listen to you, but Elijah is one-sided. He is also concerned. He says, and I'm the only one left. I'm the last one here. He says that twice in this, in this text. And, and God will now respond to Elijah's accusation. And God will encourage him as he says, I'm the only one left. And we see in the rest of this text, God dealing with both of Elijah's concerns. First, the people have broken the covenant. And second, I'm the only one who's left. And God will reveal himself to Elijah to encourage him and to answer both of those concerns. We read in verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God's revelation, wind and earthquake and fire, but the text says God was not in them. When the low whisper comes, now Elijah covers himself as he recognizes he is in the presence of God. There has been much ink spilled trying to understand the relationship between these first three events, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and that fourth event, the low whisper. Some suggest what is going on here is God is revealing to Elijah that he has in some ways changed. God is saying, look, I used to be a God of wind and earthquake and fire one who would come in judgment on my people. But now, now I'm a God of love, a God of grace, a God who is gentle and comes with simply a low whisper. Well, we know God does not change. That's not what we are being taught in this text. Some suggest that what we're learning here is that God is changing uh, the manner in which he works. In the past, I came violently with these external manifestations, wind and earthquake and fire, but now, now I've changed. Now I work quietly and inwardly in people's hearts. Well, I, I would suggest that's not what we're being taught either, because later in the text, we read about God coming through uh, Haziel and Jehu and Elisha to take vengeance on the people. So he's not saying he's changing the way he operates. I would suggest that these are not contrasting revelations of God, but they are complementary. We don't pit the first three 
against the last one. But, but in their entirety, these will answer Elijah's concerns, that the people have broken the covenant and that he is the only one left. These are not contrasting revelations. They are in concert with each other, and God is in all of them. Now, I hope you're a little bit uneasy when I say that. Because the text says very clearly, God was not in the first ones. What does the text mean when it said God was not in them, in the wind, in the earthquake, in the fire? Children, I would suggest you can think of it this way. Imagine a king who says he is going to come and visit his people. And the king is going to come and visit his people. And so there's a great uh, assembly brought together. And as the king is ready to come, what happens first is he sends ahead of him the marching band. And we see all the instruments and we hear the music. And it's somewhat revelatory of the king, but the king's not in the band. Next, we see the soldiers and the horses coming, and they speak of the might of the king. But the, horse, the, the king is not one of the soldiers. And then we see, we see the king's nobles, his lords and his ladies, which also speaks about who he is. But he's not with them. They're all revelatory of the king. And then finally, the king arrives, and the king speaks. All four of these revelations reveal something about God the king. They are not in contrast with each other. They are in concert with each other. And as I said, they will answer Elijah's two concerns about the broken covenant and that he is the only one left. And <laughs> He needs to have this explained to him because he's the one who experiences it. And when God comes again with the question, what are you doing here? He gives the very same answer. Uh, Elijah doesn't get what's going on. And so God will explain it to him. He says in verse 15, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Judah, son of Nimshai, you shall anoint as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, you will anoint as prophet. Don't miss the fact that there are three portents of destruction, and there are three here who are called to do the destroying. The one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. His concern was that God was not going to execute judgment upon his people. God says, I will do that. I recognize they have broken my covenant, and I will come in judgment. Just as surely as the wind and the earthquake and the fire would judge the earth, I will send these three to be judge. I will be just. I will fulfill the obligations of the covenant. I will take my vengeance upon the people who have rejected me. And then he says, verse 18, 
Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. This answers Elijah's second concern. Would God be just? Yes, he will. I'm the only one left. I will leave 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Yes, I will be just in bringing vengeance upon my people, but I will be merciful in keeping 7,000, the fullness of those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God's mercy and God's justice, and he is perfectly both. He encourages the prophet. He would be a God who was a judge, but he would also hold a remnant of his own. It is that same God who we serve today. We might look around and see things going on in the world and say, God, what are you doing? Why don't you come with judgment? We see churches that are no longer preaching the gospel. God, why aren't you dealing with that? He says, I will come. I, I, I'm not blind. I see what's going on. I will be just and fulfill my obligations to the covenant. And sometimes it's easy for us to say, the faithful church seems so small. It seems so overwhelmed by the powers of the world. And God is merciful and he says, yes, but I hold my own. I know the remnant. I will keep 7,000, the fullness of my own, who have not bowed the knee to the gods of the day. God comes in judgment, and he comes in mercy, and both of those to encourage the prophet and to encourage us. Yes, we have to hear the warning of God. If we are living in disobedience, if we are not keeping the covenant, he will come in his time in judgment. But God is merciful. When we, when we flee to Jesus Christ, our sin is placed upon him. He is punished, and we receive the blessing. He holds his own, the remnant. We are encouraged by who God is, a God who is a just God, and a God who is a merciful God. That is God's message to us tonight. The prophet needed to hear that message. We need to hear that message. The God of Moses and the God of Elijah find their perfection in Jesus Christ, mercy and justice in him. We are encouraged. When we think that, that God no longer cares, when we think he doesn't see, he will come. He will be a just God. And yet toward us, toward all who bow the knee to him, he will be abundantly merciful, giving us life, giving us encouragement, and calling us to continue to follow him. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you that you've revealed yourself so beautifully in your word. There are times, O oh God, when we get discouraged when it seems like the powers of the world are so strong, when it seems like, like righteousness is simply a foreign concept, and we cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? Yet you remind us tonight that you will in your time come to judge. You are a just God. And we know, O God, that left to ourselves, we would be swept away in that judgment, but you've not left us to ourselves. You have to us been merciful. 
and you keep the remnant of your people. Lord God, thank you for this word from you tonight. Use your word to encourage us, to strengthen us, as we go out into the world to love you and to serve you, our God of justice and our God of mercy. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.